We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see Who you'll be It's time to express yourself Where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions As an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. And that was a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Katie Chu, and today's theme is the gift of our future world. And I'm Jovan Hundle. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you too can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. Be The Star You Are needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Please donate today at www.bethestarur.org You can even donate through a PayPal giving fund with no fees. All right, so we'll just be starting off the show by just diving straight into our topic of our future world. And so, Hoven, I have a question for you. As a teen and millennial, what do you think of when you hear the words, our future world? Like, what comes to mind? Wow, yeah, good question. So, you know, obviously all the um, entertainment and the media for Future World with those futuristic sci-fi kind of movies and TV shows, you know, that comes to mind, of course. But also just that all these sorts of things that we might see in entertainment and all the sorts of things that we've envisioned in the past, it's amazing that we can kind of see um, the seeds of those already being planted, whether it's Elon Musk's latest venture, whether it's all the new STEM opportunities for teens, teenagers like us, you know, it's just awesome to think about the potential and what we will be seeing in our future world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um, so, Katie, so your segment on Be the Star You Are, Aim to Shoe, is all about, you know, careers. So, um, do you have any insight on careers that you may be seeing popping up in our future world or anything that might become more prevalent then? Yeah, you know, definitely. I feel like careers are always changing and especially when technology and society is changing as quickly as it is now, you definitely see changes in careers. And, you know, during past shows, I've always ended up kind of looking at what careers have good Uh, future job growth in the upcoming decades or what's about to appear more often as a job prospect and things like that have always come up and some of the careers that I've kind of come across are you know sales representatives we're always looking for 
or people are always looking for ways to sell their products or promote their companies. And, you know, regardless of how far um, computers develop or technology develops, I feel like to a certain extent for a long time in the future, sales representatives will still be super important to our economy and to companies all around. And then, of course, you know, with technology developing, you have your computer system analysts and software systems developers and anyone who really works in the computer kind of field, in the computer science field, definitely has a good chance of being able to find a job in the future since technology is still growing around us. But then you have, you know, other jobs, kind of physical therapists are still very much in need and will be in need in the future. And you know, even though people say maybe teachers may not be as high in demand later because of technology, elementary school teachers will still be in high, high demand, actually, for a long time since, you know, kids don't really function as or don't work as well with technology as you know, high schoolers will. And that kind of leaves still a lot of room for elementary school teachers. And I think there's just a lot of jobs out there that will still be great and needed in the future, but also new jobs that'll pop up with new technology that comes in. Yeah, but, and you know, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, no, but I'm really glad that you brought up elementary school teachers because, you know, so I'm only five years removed from elementary school, but I remember back then we had one computer lab for the entire school with about okay. 20, 30 computers. Sometimes we had to share. They were super, super slow. Half the time they would crash or the internet wouldn't be working. And then just a few weeks ago, I go back to talk to one of my old teachers. Then I suddenly see that half the classrooms now have their own Chromebooks. Um, some of them, some of the older classes are working with Lego Mindstorm robots. <laughs> and it's just amazing to see that, yeah, elementary school teachers, their roles are definitely going to be changing. And we can get excited for that, you know, all the new developments yeah. in our classroom. Yeah, I mean, these days I've actually been, you know, tutoring at the elementary schools, kind of just helping out, and I go a couple times a week. But what I'm actually helping them with is they're working on this math program on a computer, and I'm helping them just kind of understand the problems, but really they're getting the practice problems and doing trial tests on a computer, you know, and these are third graders and fourth graders. And I just, you know, kind of... <laughs> came to me that, oh, even in tutoring, like, these kids are working with technology everywhere, but they still, you know, definitely need the teachers around because these kids, you know, even with their computers, they want um, tutors like me and other high schoolers to help them out. And yeah, still, despite all everything, I feel like elementary school teachers will have a changing role, as you mentioned, but will still be in good demand for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and I love how you... um we're relating this to math, you know, so there's all these different fields and subjects, and you were talking about a few careers earlier as well, that are already pre-existing, but we're going to see their roles, their job descriptions, all that kind of change. And for something like math, you know, these third graders working on this program that'll hopefully make their lives easier. Um, You know, when we think of technology and new gadgets and all this new kind of things, we sometimes forget to realize how that's going to affect our the current status quo and all the older things and gadgets that we're using. Right, right. I mean, we kind of already see it, you know, old technology kind of fading away and, you know, large companies, large, you know, Apple and maybe still Microsoft kind of, you know, taking over. 
technology and old technology basically not necessarily disappearing, but it's not as in use and people are always trying to find ways to update their systems and find new and more efficient ways to manage information. And you see all that, all those kind of updates, right? Definitely. Yeah. But since I, you know, kind of talked about the career version of our new world, I was wondering, you know, you kind of talk about the world in your own segment, World Watch. Do you have anything you could tell us about the future world? Oh, God. Just if I had to sum it up in two words, it would just probably be be excited. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So whether it's the ease of transportation, whether it's streamlining information and communication more, we're going to see everything kind of become a little easier for us. And I guess that might not be as loved by older generations who may think we're growing soft, but the potential that all these new opportunities will give us, um, once we have all the opportunities that the current generation is giving to us, whether, again, these new corporations, these new products, and then we get to build off that even more, uh, we're going to see society progress in ways that we hadn't even imagined at all. And so, yeah, be excited. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. There's just... You know, sometimes I notice products that you kind of, that kind of make you think, oh, do we, do we really need that? You know, those products that kind of surprise you and you might not think you need. But then, you know, on the other side of that spectrum, there are so many new things. I remember on one of our shows, we were talking about VR once and, you know, just, it's been pretty amazing what's going on and what's going to happen in the future my you know parents are convinced that by the time my younger brother who's in sixth grade is at the age of driving you know everyone will be in an automated car (laughs) driving won't be a thing anymore and it's just for the next few decades we really can't know exactly how much we're going to progress but as you mentioned we can be expected for lots of great things to happen Definitely. And, you know, one one quick note, I just wanted to bring it back to something you just said about, you know, there's all these new products that, you know, we never think we're going to use or anything. That reminds me of about, you know, 10 years ago, I remember my mom and dad would share a cell phone, a flip phone, actually. And now if you if you fast forward 10 years later, they would never be able to survive sharing a phone, especially a flip phone. And so... Yeah, it's interesting to think how reliant we've become on all these newfangled um, objects that we would never would have imagined. And, you know, kind of bringing this topic now back to our whole teen-oriented perspective and show, how do you think, Katie, that we can prepare for our future world, especially teens? You know, I think it's always kind of important to keep an open mind, really going into talking about our future is talking about what could be and the only thing that's going to happen is you know our world is kind of going to keep opening up especially at the teenage years like I'm going into college next year so I'm constantly thinking about what's going to be changing for me and I think to prepare for our future world it's just we just have to stay updated and this isn't just for teens but for everyone you know even in even I'm as I did research for careers for other Be The Star You Are short um, shows, these websites always mentioned how these days, no matter what career you're in, you always have to re-update yourself. So 
kind of in a similar way. We teens just have to stay focused, you know, see see what's coming up and be interested in what's coming up. And, you know, the biggest change for teens might be going into college and that is our future, our immediate future world, right? So uh, yeah. I think there are so many things you can do to prepare for college, whether that's, you know, talking to people or just getting to understand yourself better or just doing all kinds of programs. I think that's really that's something really important, but something we can definitely prepare for. Definitely. So thank you so much, Katie, for this wonderful discussion. Uh, Listeners, be sure to support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more info on how to do this, please go to www.bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Joven Hundle. And I'm Katie Chu. Be The Star You Are founder and Express Yourself producer Cynthia Bryan has just authored a grand a brand new book, Growing with the Goddess Gardener. It's now available at www.cynthiabryan.com slash online store dash store with 25% of proceeds benefiting Be The Star You Are and Express Yourself. Watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash Be The Star You Are. Keep listening to our refreshing discussion on the gift of our future world. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting and inspiring program. I'm Jovan Hundle, and you're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, which is brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. And today's show is all about the gift of our future world. And I'm Katie Chu. For this segment, we have a guest joining us, Bailey Stone Bernard. Bailey is a successful author, having written dozens of short stories, two novellas, three short plays and verse, hundreds of poems, and now to add to his incredible collection of works, his novel, Monopole. As an undergraduate at the University of Iowa, Bailey won a fiction contest for the university's undergraduate literary, literary magazine. And from there, he became, became a staff editor, then the editor-in-chief, and then continued following his passion by diving into a print and digital media career. Since 2007, Bailey has been an editor for several magazines, such as the luxury lifestyle magazine, Rob Report, and the online music and audio equipment magazine, Tone Audio, in addition to working as a freelance writer. His areas of expertise are technology and transportation, which we see applied directly in his novel, Monopole, 
but of course, his greatest passion is writing. In his new novel, the reader follows the hero as he persists in building his machine, which can send matter through space and time and struggles to balance contentment with fulfillment. With that, let's welcome Bailey right onto the show. Hi, Bailey. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to just kind of explore today's theme, Gift of Our Future World, and really learn about your novel with you today. So I just want to jump right into our first question. What's your new novel, Monocle, about? Uh, so it's, it, it touches on a lot of points you guys are exploring here. I mean, definitely that speculative science fiction element, but it's really, it, it's this time travel adventure novel, and it's about a world-famous physicist and engineer whose name is Teddy Moreau. And he's kind of like the Elon Musk of 1950s post-war America. Uh, so after working on the Manhattan Project, uh, he goes on to create the most revolutionary technology in history, which are called monopole magnets. And in the world of this fiction, it's the only material in the known universe that levitates. So during one of his really famous technology demonstrations, Teddy blacks out and then he suddenly wakes up from a coma nearly 100 years in the future, uh, except he's completely crippled and he has severe amnesia. Uh, so in this future world where his monopoles are used for everything from floating furniture, friction-free mass transit to stable nuclear energy, he soon regains his capacities. And once he does, he remembers the woman he loves and everything else he left in the past. But in order to get back there, he must first embrace the future and uncover the conspiracy that sent him there. Wow, that sounds very interesting. I'm sure one <laughs> of our readers will jump at reading at that opportunity. Um. And so, what are some of, you know, the metaphors and themes that you explore in Monopole? Yeah, so some more than just the science fiction element. I mean, I just love to write an exploration of the self and all that things. And, and there's a lot of elements in, in technology uh, that I think parallel a lot of uh, kind of those self-exploration. You know, one, for example, is magnets, which are, which are a very important theme of this. And, and magnetism, the very thought of it, it has this force that you know you can feel, but you can't necessarily see it to the naked eye. Um, similarly, wind plays a big part of it uh, from a scientific perspective when, uh, you know, a, a time traveler, space traveler enters a different realm, it changes the barometric pressure so you feel the wind. Wind, again, is something that you can definitely feel, but you can't see. Uh, and so that theme parallels the ideas of dreams and memory, uh, which are very much things that have an impact on the real world, and you know they're there, you can feel them, you think about them, they, they drive who you are, but it's not really something tangible you can hold in your hand. Uh, and so th those are a couple of the ideas that uh, th that I really e explore with that. And those are really some of the key ones. But then, of course, other ones are, um, you know, a a Teddy is very adamant about getting back to working on his machine. And, you know, that metaphor parallels my life. Uh, you know, the, for me, my writing is my machine. It's something I'm always trying to get back to. And some of his backstory that reveals over the time is his, his, his relationship with his wife and the rest of the people in his life and how, how he balanced the pursuit of that machine, um, you know, with some of the other ideas of contentment, uh, you know, having a family and having a love life and things like that. So that balance of contentment and fulfillment is really, really uh, crucial to, to some of the metaphors and themes in the book. That's really amazing. You know, I really liked that line you just said about you know, dreams and dreams and memory playing a huge role and that's it's kind of interesting because dreams are really about the future whereas memory is about the past but your novel also takes in time and you know finding a balance in life and I think those are such great themes to talk about and to explore with just always being prepared for whatever our future world has for us but you mentioned that 
your novel brings in revolution revolutionary technology and revolutionary ideas radical kind of themes and I was just wondering what inspired you to write about these ideas for like where did you draw your inspiration from for Monopole? Yeah, so a lot of different places. I mean, I've always just kind of been curious with the idea of magnets. I mean, if you see a magnet floating or pulling a force, it's just that's really remarkable and incredible that these invisible forces are at play pulling each other together. Um, you know, through a lot of my work as a, as a technology interpretation editor, I kind of fell in love with, with uh, maglev trains, which are, are, you know, big big in Asia and, and some other uh, countries, unfortunately not here yet. But I, I think the idea of using those types of technologies as as a way to, to uh, you know, drive something like transportation, which we're so locked in a fossil fuel-based world, there are technologies out there exploring how that might change in a very futuristic world, um, you know, how we live our daily lives and, you know, the concept of, of the monopole, um, which is a singularly pulled magnet, it, it, this is kind of a theorized particle in, in, in real world that, that scientists and physicists kind of search for and they think they've created some in labs. And, and I just played with that idea and said, let's say this, this technology did exist, what might be some of the properties of it? And so a monopole in the book, it, it levitates against any solid inorganic material. And so once I established that concept in my mind, I took it to a bunch of different places and, and thought, you know, how, how might this change the future world if we had a metallic-based material that floated against anything? How might that change transportation, architecture? I mean, in the book, there's a lot of instances of furniture simply floating there and that kind of being a really cool and shocking thing to Teddy when he wakes up in the future. Um, uh, but then, you know, it also has a lot of implications for things like stabilizing nuclear energy using uh, using uh, magnets to, to stabilize uh, the atoms involved in some that technology, which goes back to his, his work in his former life on the Manhattan Project. Um, so, it, yeah, it, I, I've always been really fascinated with technology and obviously a lot of the, um, the issues we run into today with society, transportation being one of them. I live in L.A. I deal with transportation every day. Um, and so there are just kind of some ideas that I explored. And once I, I found a direction, I kind of just took it and ran with it. And it was a very fun speculative technology to kind of invent and, and see where it took me. And so with your, you know, experiences in mind, whether it's LA transportation or just anything you've gotten your inspiration from, like real life events, like how you're talking about the Manhattan Project or the magnetic trains in Asia, how exactly do you then approach this divide between fiction and reality? Yeah, so that um, it was one of the really fun challenges of the book. I mean, there's certainly lots of, um, I mean, keep in mind that, that Teddy, his famed technology demonstration took place in the 50s. He's kind of this, this 1950s type of man. I mean, he, he existed before the internet and yet he created this revolutionary technology. And so when he wakes up a hundred years in the future, the, the concept of the of, of the internet or smartphones are very foreign to him. And so while this is, uh, you know, 20, uh, 20, 30 or 2040 world, I explore some of those ideas. I mean, kind of that fish out of water. Um, you know, one of my favorite books growing up was a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. This kind of goes the opposite direction um, or, uh, 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 you know, Rip Van Winkle even. This this guy who essentially invented the technology future. What would happen if he suddenly wake up, woke up there or someone today waking up, you know, let's say Alexander Graham Bell woke up in a world filled with smartphones how mind-blowing would that be and so that was some of the fun things to to explore that you know this technology that we take for granted every day whether it's our smartphones or the internet or various forms of transportation what might that look like to someone entering this world from 100 years ago and just how incredible that fish out of water experience would be 
Um, and so there, there's a lot of technology in this, you know, future world of, of monopole that isn't fictional. You know, I call it something else and I kind of aggrandize it. Um, but but I think that was very fun to, to explore because, I mean, if you think about it, just from 50 years ago, we really are living in a science fiction world now with smartphones and the Internet and everything. So I balanced uh, some, some actually real world existing technology with some sort of really fun out there and, and wild technology that don't exist. And that was a very fun, uh, you know, sort of line to walk on, sort of, sort of that border between fiction and reality. It's really interesting in our um, earlier segments of today, Jovan was saying the same thing about how today we are living in what we considered science fiction and unrealistic several decades ago, but it's become true. And you mentioned how what is fiction in your story right now, maybe maybe it could be reality in a couple, in several decades or a hundred years. You, we never know, but... You know, this is kind of we're guessing a little, but you were talking about transportation and magnets, and it reminded me of my science fair project back in elementary school. And I cre- basically what I created was a glass box, and I had it levitate over a, um, a magnetic propulsion using ma- like small magnets, and I put people in there and called it a train, and I turned that in as my science fair project. But I just remember. It, it seemed very similar to just how you were describing how you were so interested in magnets and transportation and how that relates to your novel. But that was just something I wanted to throw in there. But uh, That's yeah. great. I, I hope you won the science fair. That sounds like an awesome project. Unfortunately, I didn't, but I had a lot of fun <laughs> making it because I, I feel like people don't really think about magnets much. And it was kind of a unique project for an elementary schooler to do. Definitely fun to do. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I mean, a lot of people don't realize how much magnets play into their everyday life. I mean, every uh, computer or cell phone uses some form of rare earth magnets to, you know, to drive the process or something like that, uh, you know, relating to the Manhattan Project. So they were able to, you know, simplified version, split atoms because they were able to stabilize uh, the proton field uh, going in a circle by using magnets to coordinate the timing. And that was something done in the 1950s. And, you know, magnets really are a crucial part of everything. Uh, you know, through my the, the uh, audio and music magazine I worked for, I covered a lot of uh, speakers and amplifiers and, and hi-fi equipment and stuff like that. E- every speaker you have uses a magnet uh, um, to to, uh, to to push the audio signal, actually. And so magnets are, are really kind of an unsung hero in the everyday technology world, and I'm I'm totally obsessed with them. And I, I wish more people realized how really cool magnets actually are. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Bailey, for such a wonderful segment. It was, you know, it was very enlightening and insightful. You gave us a lot of food for thought. And we'll be sure to revisit more of this conversation in the next segment. Audience, make sure to visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, blogs, and more. I'm Joven Hundle. And I'm Katie Chu. Learn more about Bailey Stone Bernard and his works at plightofthepoet.com. Follow him on Facebook at facebook.com slash plightofthepoet, on Twitter at twitter.com slash plightofthepoet, and on Instagram at instagram.com slash plightofthepoet. It's not too late to make a tax-deductible donation for last year to Be The Star You Are and express yourself. Please visit our charity site at bethestarur.org. Stay right here with us as we continue our discussion on the gift of our future world. Show the world your smile Be the star you are 
If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Katie Chu, and our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. For this edition of Express Yourself, we are continuing a lively discussion on our theme, The Gift of Our Future World. And I'm Joven Hundle. For this segment, we have with us author Bailey Stone Barnard, who just completed his new novel, Monopole. Monopole is a story of the man who invents the future and then wakes up there. After working on the Manhattan Project, Teddy Monroe, who is like the Elon Musk of 1950s post-war America, goes on to create the most revolutionary technology in history, monopole magnets, the only material in the known universe that levitates. But then, during one of his famed technology demonstrations, Teddy blacks out and suddenly wakes up from a coma a hundred years in the future, in a world filled with monopoles, which are now used for everything from floating furniture and friction-free mass transit to stable nuclear energy. But since he's now somehow completely crippled and has severe amnesia, he doesn't realize who he is, and no one would believe him if he did, because, of course, everyone thinks Teddy Monroe died many years ago. In this technologically advanced but still somewhat dystopian future, Teddy soon starts to regain his capacities, and then he remembers the woman he loves and everything else he left in the past. But in order to get back there, he must first embrace the future and uncover the conspiracy that sent him there. And with that awesome description, uh, let's welcome Bailey back on the show. Hi, Bailey. Hey. hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And so I wanted to, you know, go just continue on the conversation we were having in the last segment and ask you, what are some of your considerations then when you're writing this novel and you start fictionalizing real experiences? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you, you know, I, I think any writer, uh, any good writer certainly draws on real life experiences. Uh, and one of the fun parts of that was, you know, applying my real life, you know, who I am into kind of this future world and how do you adapt that? And so, you know, certainly some of the considerations, I mean, you keep in mind that my friends and family are going to be reading this and, and you got to wonder if when they read it, they might, you know, identify aspects of themselves or experiences they had with you into the book. And so, you know, obviously the pure writer of me wants to throw all that to, wind, uh, to the wind and just say, I'm going to put it in here because that's what this story needs to be. But it's always kind of in the back of your mind wondering how this is going to affect, uh, you know, the real people in your life. And, 
Now, certainly, again, taking some of those real life experiences and applying to science fiction, it was, uh, I I almost, at times I almost did it metaphorically, as I mentioned in the first segment, that, uh, you know, a big struggle for me is always trying to balance, uh, you know, the pursuit of my writing with the pursuit of my career and my family and my contentment and things like that. And so I, I applied that metaphorically to the novel and that Teddy. Uh, you know, our protagonist in the book, he's always pursuing his machine, um, you know, oftentimes even even at the cost of his, uh, you know, relationships and the rest of his life. And that's certainly something that I that I deal with every day. And so I think that's uh, part of the, you know, interesting or cathartic part of being a writer is that, you know, you put some of your personal struggles that you have into your writing as a way to just kind of express it and uh, and to sort of help you understand who you are and what your place is in the world. Yeah, of course. You know, I always find it awesome because you know when you're writing a book and then somebody's reading this book you already have this sort of personal connection and then especially if you know your friends and family with the author this personal connection is even amplified then like how you're talking about if you're drawing from these shared experiences so on one hand you know you might not want to put this in throw it out like how you were saying on the other hand it's it's neat to see this personal connection again um And so I wanted to go on then and ask you about how you're planning another new book called Modern Disparity. And so we were talking about a little in the last segment about how you have this fiction versus reality theme in your novel. And I was wondering, do do we see that theme at all come up in your new novel, Modern Disparity, the one you're still writing? Yeah, certainly. And, and so, I mean, this, the book I'm working on now, Modern Disparity, is, you know, it really couldn't be more different uh, than uh, Monopole. You know, whereas Monopole, I kind of got to create this entire world and there was a lot of uninteresting challenges, uh, you know, with that. And, you know, at times I, I find myself spending so much time creating that science fiction world and figuring out what the rules of this future world are and, and how Teddy, the protagonist, has to apply to them, whereas this current book is is largely based on, on my real-world experiences. And so um, that allows me to be much more kind of free-flowing in my thoughts, and, you know, whereas it, I can spend two or three hours uh, working on Monopole and maybe get out a couple hundred words just because I I'm always having to go back or refer to other points to make sure I'm addressing technologies and future realities. The same with modern disparity because it's based on reality. In that same amount of time, I can write a few thousand words because I'm really just flowing from real experiences. Um, but, you know, in terms of balancing fiction and reality, I take a lot of my real world experiences uh, through being a, a longtime editor at the Luxury Lifestyle Magazine, Rob Report. Uh, and, and I fictionalize them, and, and I grandize them, and I and I take myself on on kind of these fun or extreme adventures that maybe I had started at an experience or a trade show or you know being on a private jet or being on a private yacht or something, and then I I, I kind of take it to this whole new fun adventurous place that you know I, I I think of myself as a fun adventurous guy, but I think a lot of us in the real world. Uh, n- never quite live out the uh, you know the, the fictional world of, of novels or movies or something like that. And so it was very fun to me to s- start in the real world experience that I actually had and kind of let's see where this goes. Let's take it somewhere weird or strange or overly adventurous. Something that I would probably never do in real life, but but leads to a, a really fun narrative that I think uh, the, the reader will have will have a fun uh, time engaging with. Now that you kind of talked about the differences between your novel and progress and. Monopole, do you, I was just wondering, since you did mention that you put a lot of more, uh, more of your real experiences into modern disparity, do you feel more connected to that novel or do you still feel a lot of yourself in Monopole? 
Yeah, I mean, I you know, I certainly do. While uh, there's going to be a lot of myself in anything that I write, uh, just because that's the type of, of writer that I am, I always put a lot of myself into it. Uh, you know, Monopole, it, it's it, it took me to a much more fictional place. You know, obviously the the, the character of Teddy. I've never been to the future, obviously. I've never been completely triple or had some here. I mean, just there's a lot more imagination that had to take place. Whereas Modern Disparity, I mean, it's really a memoir, um, but it's uh, it, it's highly, highly fictionalized. And so I think for me, we touched on this a little bit in the, in the first segment, it's very cathartic. I mean, it, it, it helps me kind of explore uh, a time in my life where, you know, I was young, I was just out of college, the recession was just starting to hit really hard. And meanwhile, I'm kind of dabbling in this incredibly extravagant lifestyle where I'm driving $100,000 sports cars and I'm taking flights on private jets and going on these incredible yachts. And, and meanwhile, the global economy is sort of crumbling all around me. Um, you know, it was also at a time I was a very you know, low on the feeding chain at the magazine. I wasn't making a ton of money and just struggling to get by in the world of Los Angeles and, you know, going through a lot of stuff with various friends and relationships and things like that. And, and all of those really play in, in into this very, very directly. And so it's uh, it, because I worked on Monopole for so long, it really was a, a decade project in the making. Um, I, I, I sort of started to lose touch a little bit with who I am as a writer, that the very cathartic and really exploring some of my own deep personal um, psychology, which is always what I love most about writing is really just diving into the self. This new book, I'm, I'm going back to that and, and doing it very, very aggressively. I mean, you know, d diving headfirst in, into myself and just seeing where it goes. And, you know, some of it's positive, some of it's a struggle. Um, I, I'm really curious to, to see what friends and family will think of the new book if I ever allow them to read it, because I don't think a lot of a lot of people knew understand what quite what I was going through at that time. Um, so, but yeah, it's it, it's just for me, it's it's writing in the purest form, and I'm I'm really really happy to be back to that place. Obviously, I learned a lot writing Monopole, um, you know, just in terms of, of, of technical writing and, and storytelling and all those elements really helped help build me and make me a stronger writer. And I think now that I, I, I furthered that foundation in, in my technical skills as writing, I'm really allowed to just uh, kind of paint freely, if you will, you know, not much like a painting artist. Once you use, you learn the basics, you can really then just take it and run with it. And so I'm really just diving into this very writerly and literary uh, type book. Um, and it's it's fun. It's cathartic. It's it's though the words just flow out of me much more than they do to the science fiction novel. And it's, it's a very very uh, fulfilling book uh, to be writing right now. Yeah, no, I love that. How especially how you're saying that it's just cathartic for you. That it's not just you know the reader that's going to be picking up on themes and learning something from the book. Uh, the writer here also kind of learns something about himself maybe from writing this book. And so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so considering how, you know, Monopole, you said, took you a decade to complete, um, how long do you think modern disparity will take? And where will your writing go after that? Is there anything else you might want to discover about yourself there? Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. So, yeah, Monopole took so long. And I think a lot of that is that it was really my first full-length novel. Um, and, and so much of it was writing and rewriting and changing the narrative and changing the setting and working on timelines and story arcs and all that. Um, modern disparity uh, has been a much quicker process so far, while um, the scope of it um, may even be grander uh, than, than a sci-fi epic, which is sort of hard to imagine. It's really kind of this epic journey. Um, I mean, it's kind of, I'm, I'm a big fan of Herman Hesse. 
uh, and, you know, Siddhartha and Narcissus and Goldman, and those kind of have this hero's journey, this incredible art. And while that's what modern disparity is in scope, um, it, it's a much quicker read because the, the timeline I was able to just sit down and kind of bang it out. It's, it's a, you know, written in, in four parts. Uh, you know, each part could probably be its own standalone novel. I just finished the first one, but it's going much more quickly. So whereas it took me, you know, 10 years to write modern, dis uh, I'm sorry, 10 years to write monopole, I finished the first of four parts of modern disparity in about six months. Um, so it's, it, it's a very different process. And it's, it's really been one that's, that's been fun to explore. And I'm just fully going with the floor and that uh, flow. And that's a really great feeling. Um, as far as where my writing's going to go after that, I mean, yeah, we'll have to see. You know, I've got a, I've got a ton of archive work in my back pocket that I've, I've worked on for years and years since I was a little kid, really, and a lot of those ideas I'd love to go back to. I mean, I think first thing out of the gate would probably be a, a you know, a compendium of, of, of poems and prose. Um, they sort of, sort of spans the, um, uh, spans the gamut. Uh, and so then, you know, that could be, uh, the next one, or, you know, you never know. I mean, if a story idea pops into my head and I kind of take it and run with it, um, we'll see where it goes. But, you know, the total polar opposites of modern sci-fi epic or modern disparity of a fictionalized memoir, those kind of go pretty far to either end. So we'll see. Maybe maybe the future will end somewhere in the middle. I'm sure our, you know, audience will be extremely excited to, you know, read Monopole, Modern Disparity, and whatever comes up next. But we're unfortunately out of time. And Bailey, this has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being with us here today. But yeah. Yeah. My pleasure, guys. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a platform to, to share my work. I'm, I'm really excited to be part of, of it. Audience, during our break, be sure to check out our 501c3 literacy and positive media charity at bethestarur.org. I'm Katie Chu. And I'm Joven Hundle. In addition, learn more about Bailey Stone Bernard and his works at plightofthepoet.com. Follow him on Facebook at facebook.com slash plightofthepoet, on Twitter at twitter.com slash plightofthepoet, and on Instagram at instagram.com slash plightofthepoet. And also, be sure to visit www.expressyourselfteenradio for more information about our show. And make sure to stay on, because when we come back, we'll be continuing on with our fascinating topic, The Gift of Our Future World. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. 
I'm Katie Chu on Express Yourself, and today's hour is all about the gift of our future world. And I'm Joven Hundle. In this segment, we have our very own veteran host and reporter Brigitte Gia with her segment, Art Attack. Take it away, Brigitte. Hey guys, it's Brigitte, of course, and today I'm going to be connecting art and our future world, or our future, basically. And so I thought I'd start off by just giving kind of a summary of Western art history as I know it, and then I'll be tying it into some of the elements that will probably be defining our future and are already defining our world in the status quo. So just to give again, kind of an overview of Western art history. We're starting way back in kind of the prehistoric times, Paleolithic, Neolithic age with the caves of Lascaux uh, in France and Stonehenge. And so uh, the Lascaux caves are some of the earliest known cave paintings uh, in the modern day. So some of the oldest that we know of right now that we've so far discovered. And they depict a lot of... um, animal figures and hunters chasing after these animal figures and there's a lot of dyes from natures that are used nature that are used as paint and in Lascaux one of the interesting things uh, that we see there is that the humans put their own handprints as sort of maybe we think they're signatures or some sort of remnant of themselves on the walls so we have this element of humanness and humankind uh, within our art starting from the very very beginning and we move on to Stonehenge of course we don't really know if Stonehenge is exactly there for purely artistic purposes just because there's a lot of debate over whether Stonehenge is a uh, is a fecundity ritual or some sort of stone monument in the British Isles that's maybe dedicated to a certain god that our prehistoric ancestors had We're not exactly sure how Stonehenge actually got there. Uh, We're only sure that it's there and it's beautiful and you can visit it. (laughs) And we can probably consider it uh, a form of art. um, And we can definitely, in the modern era, appreciate it uh, in an artistic manner. Moving right along to some of the uh, Egyptian and Greco-Roman art that we're seeing. So a lot of you are probably familiar with the um, Egyptian hieroglyphs and the Egyptian uh, kind of sideways portraits of their ruling figures and their gods and other other figures that they interacted with in their time. Uh, and you're probably also familiar with the Greco-Roman sculptures and um, the frescoes that we see on maybe tomb walls uh, or in Pompeii. They have a lot of frescoes on the walls that have been excavated thus far. And of course, architecture is also a defining art form of both of those two ancient cultures. So we see a lot of art there and we can appreciate it as a monument in history. And Egyptian art was defined by their sort of sideways portraits where the head was turned uh, to the side as a side profile and then the body faced forward. Uh, Whereas Greco-Roman art, um, they attempted to, especially the Greeks, attempted to depict people as sort of ideal figures instead of what they really looked like. So if you have a Greek bust or you have an ancient Greek statue uh, of a human figure, this human figure is probably not... They probably didn't look like that in real life, but uh, the Greeks believed in portraying everyone to be their ideal form rather than their realistic form. 
the Romans were actually a little bit more realistic. They decided not to go by that and discard sort of the idealized element in within their sculptures, within their art. And uh, Greco-Roman art, sort of their mosaics that they had uh, in tombs and on uh, walls in their homes, uh, was definitely more 2D. Of course, we don't see the use of perspective yet because it hasn't been invented. Um, and so we see a lot of 2D art. Moving right along to kind of the split between the Western and Roman, uh, Western and Eastern Roman empires, uh, we see the fall of Western Rome and the movement of a lot of culture and a lot of uh, artistry towards the Eastern half. So in the East, we see a lot of art that's inspired by sort of the Christian, the Orthodox Christian religion. So we see a lot of mosaics of baby Jesus popping up and uh, of different religious figures that are tied to Christianity. So early Christianity, uh, we have some art from the Byzantine Empire, we have some elements there, and we see a strong influence of religion start to pop up. This continues into sort of the medieval art. Um, between that is kind of the Dark Ages, where you have the fall of the entirety of the Roman Empire, um, you know, other than Constantinople is still is still there for the time being, but um, in the Middle Ages you don't see too much Western art because there is this Dark Age, these Dark Ages that sort of define uh, these few centuries between the Byzantine Empire and the medieval art that we see popping up. So moving right along into medieval art, uh, this is defined again by Christianity, and that shifts into sort of the Baroque style as well. And you see a lot of medieval and Baroque art that's kind of defined by religious elements. It moves into the Renaissance. Uh, this is right after sort of the Black Plague of the 14th century, late 14th century, that uh, although it, it's awful, it kills half of Europe, and it also actually makes way for the Renaissance, strangely enough, and although there is a lot of tragedy there um, in terms of humankind's path, we also have a clearing of workers, and so the workers, therefore, can ask for more pay from their landowners because a lot of them have been, unfortunately, you know, uh, taken by the Black Death. And we see an excess of kind of wealth that's circling around, and so the Renaissance kind of springs from the roots of that. Uh, you see that happening in the north and the south of Europe, and there is a huge distinction there between kind of the northern Renaissance and the southern Renaissance. Southern Renaissance takes place in Italy and Florence, um, Milan. You see a lot of these, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. You see some of these Italian names popping up. That's all taking place in the South, and they're focused more on classical art, so basically art that's themed around uh, a return to the ancient Greek uh, themes and gods and goddesses and mythologies and those elements. Uh, whereas in the North, you see a Renaissance that's uh, defined by darker colors and a centering around religion still. So they're very focused on portraying um, religious figures and themes that are tied to Christianity. And so we see here especially that split. We also see in the Renaissance the invention of chiaroscuro and perspective. So a, a little more complex here. We're seeing a lot of lifelike figures within paintings and sculptures. Um, moving right along after that, you have sort of, I think it goes 
into sort of the classical and romantic eras of art. So this is a continuation kind of of that, um, of perspective and of depicting things as they really are to your eyes. There's a lot of um, portraying royalty and portraying uh, still lifes as you see them in sort of this beautiful light uh, shifts into kind of nature as with the, the entirety of the romantic era and movement, we shift into a focus on returning back to nature and returning back to greenery or landscapes, beauty. Uh, the Académie des Beaux-Arts uh, in Paris, in France, is definitely a big influential institution uh, during this era. Uh, it's kind of the defining institution for a lot of young artists who are planning on going into art and expressing themselves through that method. Uh, we go into Impressionism and Expressionism, and then moving on into the postmodern era, we kind of go into Cubism, Surrealism, Pop Art, and Abstract Art. And so we have a timeline kind of of this Western culture and this Western art, but we never see a lot of elements of other forms of art from other cultures. And so Islamic art, for instance, uh, doesn't portray any human figures or any human likenesses. They focus on geometric art. And then East Asian art takes you into sort of, again, a focus on nature and specifically on what's around you. There's less of a humanistic focus there that you see in a lot of Western culture um, artworks. Um, African art focuses on earth and depicts masks, animals, and Aborigine art focuses on the same sort of elements with wood carvings and different mediums as well. And so what we see and right now in the modern era is kind of a mix of this Western timeline that I've so far gone over and these other cultures' arts. And we're seeing a combination of that as the world grows more and more globalized. And I think we're going to be seeing that definitely in the future. That will be the defining element of where art is going to go and where art is, in fact, going right now. We see, again, a, a shifting away from this individualistic drive in Western culture and more towards the elements and themes that are valued by other cultures. Yeah, I love the way you tied your art attack into our theme today of Give the Future World. I love always hearing your segments. Um, unfortunately, it is time to say farewell. We do give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Joven Hundle. And I'm Katie Chu. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, go to www.btsya.org and our main site at www.bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, look forward to our future world, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines If you would let yourself